0: Um, please open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk uh, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. If you're using a Pew Bible, it's on page 664. I did a series on Habakkuk over the summer and I thought I would introduce you to this amazing book. Um, Habakkuk is one of the twelve minor prophets. Um, and I think in the church they're often somewhat neglected. Um, But I trust as we open up Habakkuk today, you will see how relevant they are to this age in which we live. Habakkuk was uh, living in an age which had rejected the word of God. And as a result, the the society was full of evil and injustice. And Habakkuk brings his complaint before the Lord in uh, verses 1 through 4. And then without introduction, the Lord answers Habakkuk in verse 5. So hear now the word of the Lord. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. And then the Lord answers. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days You would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping Their horsemen come from afar, they fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence, their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress, they heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. So far, God's word. Let's come before him once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would add your blessing to it, that you would open our eyes to understand it, that you would open our hearts uh, to love it, and um, cause us uh, to follow it, pray now that you would add your blessing also to the preaching of your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, The the problem of evil is a perennial question uh, for believers and unbelievers alike. And it's so significant that it has its own name. Uh, The vindication of God against the problem of evil is called theodicy. And the objection runs something like this. You've probably heard it. If God is totally good then he wouldn't want there to be evil, and if God were totally powerful, then he could make it so that there would be no evil. But the argument goes, there is evil, and so God must either not be totally good, or he must not be all-powerful. And I want you to feel the weight of that objection before immediately dismissing it, because we all have friends and family, unbelieving friends and family that think this way. And you'll hear it if you do evangelism or apologetics on the streets. So how do you answer it? And how do you respond when you yourself face suffering? Habakkuk was living in the death throes of the nation of Israel Israel was materially prosperous but morally bankrupt, and as a result it was full of violence and wickedness. The people worshipped Baal on the high places and on their roofs. They sacrificed their children to Molech. In the temple, the priests literally turned their backs on God and worshipped the sun in the sky and filled the temple walls with idols. You can read about that in Jeremiah there was no respect for God or for human life. And if you were looking for a comparison to understand what it might have been like, you might not need to go much farther than to look at our own nation. It was an age when the foundations of society were falling apart. People rejected God and his law, and the result was rampant wickedness. And Habakkuk saw this wickedness, and he suffered in the midst of it, and he cried out to God. He begins this oracle by asking God three questions or complaints about the problem of evil. But the amazing thing about the book of Habakkuk, and the thing that really separates it from many of the other minor prophets, is that uh, we are given front row seats as Habakkuk wrestles with this problem of evil. So if you were to read the whole book, he begins with the complaint, and the Lord answers him. And Habakkuk's not satisfied with that answer either, and he responds with another complaint, and the Lord answers him. And we see Habakkuk wrestle with the problem of evil and ultimately submit to God's will with a prayer of faith. So Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, begins with three questions and ends with one of the most beautiful hymns of faith in the entire bible and if you look at that if you look at it that way the book of habakkuk is a theodicy it's habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil and his answer is summed up in habakkuk 2 verse 4 which you've probably heard because it's quoted three times in the new testament the lord tells habakkuk that the righteous will live by his faith and this Theme verse is Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil. So the whole book of Habakkuk is a theodicy, a defense of God's goodness and sovereignty in the face of all that's wrong with the world. The righteous must learn to live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering. And that's the Lord's message for you today. Live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering for three reasons. As we consider each of Habakkuk's questions. So, first, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end, but it is not yet. Habakkuk sees the iniquity of apostate Israel and he asks, How long, O Lord? And isn't this the question that we all ask when we go through difficult times, when we struggle under the weight of sin and suffering? How long must I bear this cross? How long will the Lord lead me through this dark valley? How long will my finances be tight? How long will this relationship be broken? How long will I have to struggle with this sin? How long must I pray for the same unanswered prayer? And in these moments, this short life, which Peter calls a momentary affliction, can seem like an eternity. When the Lord seems far off, maybe we're watching our own country fall farther and farther from God's law, and we are inundated with news stories showing the bitter fruits of godlessness. I want you to use your sanctified imagination. Habakkuk was a man with a nature just like ours, and he experienced the same disappointments that we experience. Habakkuk would have walked the streets back to his home. He would have witnessed the injustice and immorality on the streets and heard the reports of corruption. Habakkuk's experience was very near to our own. And his question, how long, is the age-old question of those who know that this is not how the world was meant to be. And yet it seems to go on and on And it's a question, actually, that God first asked in the Bible when Israel sinned in the wilderness. Israel broke the Sabbath by trying to collect manna on the day of rest, and God asked, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? And then later in Numbers, when the spies feared to enter the promised land, God asked again, How long will this people spurn me, and how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? But it's also a question for believers. Eighteen times in the Psalms, the psalmist cries out, how long? And we are told in Romans that creation itself groans in childbirth, which is its own way of saying, how long until the revealing of the sons of God? And in Revelation, even after the martyrs died and were in the presence of God himself in glory, their souls continued to cry out, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell in the earth? Habakkuk probably grew up in the reign of the good king Josiah, and there was a brief period of reform but Josiah's reforms never translated into a godly nation, and after his death, wickedness abounded even more. And now Habakkuk joins creator and creation and creature in crying out, how long? Verse 2, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save And the word for violence is the same word that was used of the world before the flood in Genesis 6. So God's holy people, the people called by his name, had become as full of violence as the generation of Noah that was destroyed in the flood. Israel had cried out for help from the Egyptians, a godless nation, but now Habakkuk cries out for help from corrupt and apostate Israel, from a people that were called by God's own name. And apparently Habakkuk had been praying for a long time, but suddenly the Lord answers. And it's meant to be sudden, there's no introduction. Verse 5, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, Because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering, because there is an end, but it is not yet. The Lord was not slow in dealing with the sins of Israel. Suddenly, he answers, and eventually sin must be judged. And in the Bible, this day of judgment is called the day of the Lord. And there are multiple days of the Lord. God's patience had waited in the days of Noah, and then the rain came. And now his patience waited in the days of Habakkuk. But soon after Habakkuk's prophecy, the Babylonian armies would appear on the horizon. But those days of the Lord are only a preview of the final day of the Lord, when sin will be finally And fully dealt with. Paul quotes verse 5 in Acts 13 to speak of the final day of the Lord. And a day of the Lord is the only ultimate answer to the problem of evil, a day when every wrong will be made right. Whatever your unbeliever, your unbelieving friend or family member believes, they don't have a solution to the problem of evil. They, they ultimately put their hope in more of the same, different politicians, better education, moral advancement, perhaps moral revolution. And they really think that society will somehow get it all together. But apart from God, that will only lead to more wickedness. They will never solve the problem of evil because the problem of evil is in every Human heart. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. And a few verses later, he says that according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth, and we must live by faith because the Lord is not slow. By faith, we know that there will be a day when sin and suffering are no more. When God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there will be an end to it. Praise God. Can you imagine what a weight will be lifted off your shoulders on that day and the worry that will be taken from your face when the world will be made new and sin and suffering will be no more? And He will wipe every tear. From your eye, God is not slow. Yet at the same time, he is patient. He was patient in dealing with the sins of Israel. He gave them time to repent. He sent them prophets rising up early and sending them. He did not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And when we consider... Beloved, all the suffering that goes on in this world, was it not, in a sense, for God's elect? The Lord is still calling a people to himself, and he is willing that the world would groan until that day when all the elect have been gathered in. So if you think about it that way, Habakkuk's how long is the cry of all those who endure suffering because of God's desire to save sinners The last hundred years of suffering all over the globe, think of everything that's happened. Was it not partly for you, child of God, and for all whom the Lord would call to himself to be with him in glory, long after the sin of this world is a distant memory? So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end. But it is not yet. The Lord is not slow, but patient. Second, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. The second question that Habakkuk asks is why? And this is another question we all ask when we don't understand God's providences to us. Why me? Why now? Why this? This was David's question in Psalm 22 and Jesus' question on the cross, and it's also Habakkuk's question, verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. And I want you to notice as you look at God's response, starting in verse 5, that the Lord never answers why. You could say his answer comes later in Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous will live by his faith, but even that's not really an answer. It's a postponement of an answer. Many people want there to be an argument for the existence of God, but God never proves that he exists. He simply says, in the beginning, God. So too, with the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, or even before that, to the fall of Satan, God does not tell us why Adam and Eve sinned. He doesn't answer the fundamental why question that your children would get to if they kept asking again and again, Why, Dad? Why is there sin? Why are the righteous persecuted? Well, because Israel had rejected the Lord, but why did Israel reject the Lord? Why did a people called by God's name fall into such grievous sin? Why does God permit even... Christians to fall into sin. Why did Habakkuk, a righteous prophet, suffer along with the wicked? Why do we experience so much suffering? We must live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. And in fact, the Lord seems to make the problem of evil even worse. Habakkuk complains that God caused him to look on iniquity and, viol- and wickedness. And now a wicked nation is coming. He complained about destruction and violence, and now destruction and violence are coming. And they don't look to God for judgment, but as verse 7 says, their justice and authority originate with themselves. But the fact is that the Lord is able to use a crooked stick to draw a straight line he can carry out his purposes with a sinful nation he can cause even the wrath of man to praise him the Lord's ways are higher than our ways he has a plan for you that you can't fully understand now the secret things belong to the Lord according to Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 and if you believe that he is wise you will not so quickly try to become his counselor. We can't say why God allows particular trials and sufferings, and we can never look at a tragic accident or a senseless evil and say that it was good because God will bring good out of it. But one day we will see more clearly, and the righteous wait for that day with faith, and they trust for it now. So live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully. And third, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is justice, but it is not yet complete. Look at Habakkuk's last complaint in verse 4. He says, therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. This is not so much a question as an observation or a complaint. David had administered righteousness and justice for all his people, but now Israel had abandoned the word of God and there was no longer any justice. And it seems that the more the culture moved away from the word of God, the more the righteous stood out. And the more the righteous called Israel back to the word of God, the more they were persecuted and derided. I wonder if you hear me again describing our culture today. Our culture has rejected God's law and there is more and more injustice Biblical morality has been jettisoned, the created order is being demolished, created distinctions are being erased, and justice is being redefined into a poor facsimile of biblical justice. And the more the culture moves away from the word of God, the more the righteous stand out. And the more the righteous call our culture back to the word of God, the more they are persecuted and derided. The Lord's answer is that there is justice, only it is not the kind of justice that Habakkuk was expecting. Live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering, because there is justice, but it is not yet complete. Look again at the Lord's answer. Israel broke the covenant and received the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28. Listen as I read. Some of the Lord's Curses for Covenant Disobedience for the Nation of Israel in Deuteronomy 28:49, He says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the end of the earth as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand. And doesn't Habakkuk speak of an army of horsemen like an eagle swooping down to devour in Habakkuk 1-8? And the next verse in Deuteronomy speaks of a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. And is that not fulfilled in the fierce and impetuous people of Habakkuk 1.6? And a few verses later in Deuteronomy 28.52, the Lord says that the nation would besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And now we read of the Chaldeans who laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Friend Habakkuk's complaint is that the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. True, the law was ignored in Israel, but that did not mean that the law was therefore powerless. God is watching over his word to perform it. The covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28 were fulfilled against apostate Israel by the Chaldeans. Babylon would be the instrument of his justice. The Lord is able to execute judgment in the ordinary means of grace, ministry of the word, but also in his works of providence. And doesn't it seem like the Lord has been executing a kind of judgment on the world this past year? And there was justice in God's judgment. Think of it. Israel was filled with violence, and now they would become the recipients of violence. Israel was supposed to possess the land of Canaan and receive dwellings that were not theirs, and now the Chaldeans do the same to them in verse 6. Israel was supposed to be like the sand of the sea, but now the Chaldeans heap up captives like sand in verse 9. and even after there was justice against israel there would also be justice against babylon verse 11 but they that is babylon will be held guilty they whose strength is their god so we saw how we are to live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because there is an end to sin and suffering but it is not yet And there is a why, but it is not ours to know fully, and there is justice, but it is not yet complete. But what about Habakkuk? So far the Lord has answered Habakkuk, but Habakkuk is still about to be swept away by the Chaldeans along with apostate Israel. He will be swept away in the deluge of judgment that's coming against the violent, and unlike Noah, he has no ark. To protect him, except the ark of his faith. So, what good is it to know that there will be an end to sin and suffering, or there is a why to sin and suffering, or that there is a form of justice in the midst of sin and suffering? Well, as we conclude, live by faith in the midst of sin and suffering because Christ has redeemed your sin and suffering on the cross. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see that Habakkuk is a type of Christ. Habakkuk suffers as a righteous man swept up in the punishment of the wicked to point us to Christ, who would suffer on behalf of sinners like you and me. All sin is sin against God, first and foremost, and all evil is more heinous to him than you or I will ever understand. But it's not just that God asks, how long from heaven? God enters into this world of sin and misery so that Jesus can answer all the questions that Habakkuk asked. Jesus asked, how long as he dealt with the same sinful nation in Matthew 17? On the cross, he calls out for help and receives no answer. He he cries out violence and God doesn't seem to save. He asks why from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as destruction and violence are before him? And it seemed, didn't it, as if the law was ignored and justice was never upheld as the wicked surrounded the righteous one on the cross and justice seemed to come out perverted. But on the cross, Christ was bearing the true spiritual curses for your covenant breaking. He was enduring the day of the Lord on your behalf so that if we believe in him, his death becomes our death and his righteousness becomes our righteousness so that we have passed from death to life and there is no longer a judgment for our sins. Then the day of the Lord will be a day of rejoicing and worshiping as this Lord's Day is but a dim picture, how long the why and the cries of injustice will be over? We talked about theodicy, the vindication of God against the problem of evil. Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil is to live by faith, but only because Jesus's answer to the problem of evil is coming. Jesus is God's final vindication of his character against the problem of evil Jesus is the ultimate theodicy in Christ we see the most evil act in all of history becoming the greatest expression of love and the source of every spiritual blessing we enjoy in Christ we see God's justice and his mercy vindicated in Christ We see God's amazing love for his people. And we see fallen man raised to an even higher position than Adam had in the garden. But more than that, God in Christ has entered into our suffering. And suffering is now holy ground. And now as we suffer, we are filling up the sufferings of Christ we are united to Christ by faith, and he, in a mysterious way, is afflicted with us in all our affliction. And now, brothers and sisters, he is using our suffering to conform us into the image of Christ. Every day that you ask how long and why, and every day that you are perhaps tormented in your soul like Lot because of the wickedness that surrounds you and the wickedness that resides in you, you are becoming more and more like your Savior, more able to understand his sufferings as he is able to understand yours, more heavenly-minded and less attached to the world. Every day that you submit to him and entrust judgment to the Father and love your enemies and lean further More fully on Christ and his righteousness, you understand the gospel more clearly and count Christ more precious. Again and again, the Bible says that suffering is for our good. Do we value Christ's likeness enough to embrace the suffering that God has in his good wisdom given us? The end might not be yet. The why might not be fully understood and there will still be injustice. But by faith, will you be satisfied with Habakkuk's answer to the problem of evil? And will you trust in the Lord in the midst of sin and suffering so that you can even praise him like Habakkuk does by the end of the book? And since we're not doing a series on Habakkuk, I thought I'd read what it looks like to face sin and suffering by faith even when your circumstances don't change. Turn ahead. Uh, In Habakkuk to chapter 3, verse 17, and see the remarkable climax of faith. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will exalt in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on my high places. Brothers and sisters, we still live in a world of suffering. We long to be with Christ, but until he comes, or until he calls us, let us live by faith because we worship a God who understands everything that Habakkuk went through and everything that we are going through. He has redeemed even our suffering, and he will one day make all things new. Amen.